It's Wednesday, June 16th. Welcome to Market Fooling. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, from the financial capital of the United States of America, it's Maria Gallagher. Good to see you. Nice to see you, too. We've got home furnishings. We've got another sale at eBay. But we're going to start today with Roblox. Shares are down 8% after the company reported a drop in daily active users and a drop in spending. Although I will point out that daily active users in the month of May on Roblox were 1% lower than April. So yes, technically that is a drop year over year. The numbers look good. There's some growth there. But I, I guess my first question is, do you think this is an overreaction? Or is the valuation of Roblox such that any dip in traffic is going to ding them like this? I mean, I think both are kind of true. So you have a lot of very high expectations for Roblox. Um, And I think that it's not surprising to me. And it's not something that Roblox has shied away from. They have talked about consistently as the world reopens, as people get back and more and more to kind of being physically near each other, we're expecting to go down a little bit. Um, And we want that to happen because we want um, people to be able to see each other again. But we think for the long term, this is something that people will continue to use. And what's interesting is, like you said, their daily active users were down about 1%. But that hours engaged was actually up about 1%. So the people who are using the platform are still using it and they're really dedicated to using it and spending more and more time on the platform. And something else that I find really fascinating about Roblox is you have the people who um, use the metaverse and then you have these kind of new and interesting revenue streams that come from um, you know, partnerships with record labels and brands. And so Zara Larson, who is a Swedish singer, is hosting a launch party on Roblox. Um, there's going to be a dance party It's for her new album. Um, It's going to take place in and around her Swedish lake house. It has games, challenges, and exclusive merchandise that people can buy with Robux. And so I think that that's kind of an interesting thing. I'm excited to see how that goes over. I know there was a Lil Nas X concert that was hosted on Roblox that had over 33 million views. And so what we're seeing is you have the traditional ways that users have been monetized and then this growth in this new and interesting way for users to be monetized in interaction with their favorite artists and kind of um, partnerships with those record labels and even uh, brands like Disney and and things like that, which I think is pretty fascinating. It never even occurred to me that that Roblox would be hosting the, that type of event. I mean, is assuming they continue to do that, and by the way, why wouldn't they? Uh, how much of a growing threat does Roblox become to platforms that we traditionally think of as hosting those type of events. And I'm thinking of a pretty wide range of platforms, everything from Facebook Live to Twitter Spaces more recently, or even just sort of, um, you know, in the same way that iHeartMedia has hosted live concerts across radio stations and their uh, online platforms as well. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see in that it's so much more interactive than those traditional platforms and people can feel much more like they're interacting with their friends and they can be in groups with their friends and interact with them because they know each other's avatars as well as interacting with new people and getting kind of more exclusive offerings. So I do think that that's really interesting. And you have seen in the past, um, their past quarter, there was a growth in users over 13. And I think that this is another way that they're trying to get more people onto the platform 
platform because a lot of their growth is going to come from expanding how many users are interested in the platform and getting out of that core demographic, which had been previously that nine to 13 year old demographic. So I think this is another push to say, okay, well, if you like Lil Nas X or if you like uh, Zara Larson, come to this platform. And then if you're there and you're like, oh, this is actually more fun than I realized getting users. I think it's an interesting way to attract new users and continue to monetize those existing users. So I think that's pretty exciting um, when I think about Roblox. Last thing, and then we'll move on. I mean, how, how expensive is this stock right now? Obviously, it's about 8% cheaper than it was yesterday. But is this, is this one of those things where if you're, if you're looking at Roblox and thinking about the potential, not just for gaming, but also for the type of live events that we've been talking about, and you know, this is now a stock on your watch list, is it really expensive still? Or is it, um, is it getting to the point where as long as your timeline is, is far enough in the future, um, now's a good time to buy? I mean, it's definitely still quite expensive. I think it's trading at 42 times last 12 months revenue and about 20 times next 12 month revenue. So it's still, you're expecting a lot of growth. You have to see kind of what those bookings looks like. I think understanding how they can monetize users in a more effective manner, as well as how they can grow that platform. Because about 75% of children in the US between the ages of nine and 13 are already on the platform, you need to see that user growth outside of that core demographic and internationally to see them continue to grow those users in the way that I think is important for them to earn that valuation. So I do think there are still um, some asterisks when you think about uh, the company and how it's valued. So it is definitely still richly valued, but I, I think it's really interesting and I'm excited personally to see where it's going to go moving forward. eBay is reportedly selling its South Korean unit for $3.5 billion dollars and yet shares of eBay are flat today. Is, is that because this is not finalized or because someone out there thinks they should be getting more for this? Because uh, last time I checked, $3.5 billion appears to be roughly double the amount of cash that eBay already has on hand. Yeah, so I'm going to um, give credit where credit is due. I talked a little bit to Jim Gillies before I came on today about eBay. He knows a lot about the company. And so what he kind of explained to me too is that this is something that eBay has been doing recently. So StubHub was rolled out in February of 2020. There's a uh, talks for a deal for their classifieds group should be done in the next couple of months as well. Um, and then we have this deal happening as well. So I think this is something that people are not surprised that eBay is doing. Um, it had Elliott Management come in in 2019, which is an activist shareholder group, and they're making some of those changes. So you see them kind of hiving off those non-core businesses. So I think that that's not a big shock, but I do think that this is interesting um, that they're eBay in Korea is the third largest e-commerce firm with a market share of about 13%. Um, and so South Korea is actually the world's fourth largest e-commerce market at all with about um, 30 36% of the retail market is e-commerce, which I think is pretty fascinating. So it seems like a good deal. Um, it seems like a good, um, a good, a good, choice from eBay as they're continuing to kind of focus on that core business and see what they can do. Because I would also like to say, I didn't realize, you know, quite how big that core business of eBay still is. Um, they had gross merchandise volume of 27.5 
billion last quarter. Their annual active buyers have there are 187 million, which if we're comparing it to Etsy, there are only 82 million active buyers at Etsy. And there are annual active sellers at eBay are about 20 million compared to about 4 million on Etsy, which is in my mind, when you think about a marketplace, I go to Etsy so much quicker than I go to eBay. But I think that that's um, not not how most people would react. And I think that the numbers speak for themselves. And um, during quarter one, um, the gross merchandise volume for trading cards on eBay was over $1 billion alone just for trading cards. So they still have this massive core business. And so focusing on that, I think is going to be pretty interesting for them moving forward. So I think that uh, in conclusion, maybe people aren't super surprised because this has now been, you know, the path eBay has chosen to take recently. eBay is a fascinating company to me in the sense that I think it for years now just hasn't gotten the respect it deserves and you know and and maybe that's not an issue for the people who work there or for the people who are running it but this is a stock you know over the last 5 years the S&P 500 has doubled uh, shares of eBay have nearly tripled over the, over the past uh, five years, um, and I'm I'm glad you mentioned uh, when you started your answer. Thank you for reminding everyone that uh, eBay sold StubHub, a platform for tickets to live events. They basically sold it at the absolute perfect time. They sold it right before the pandemic hit to ViaGogo for about four billion dollars. Uh, I think that was an all cash deal. Um, yeah, it's it, I don't know. It's it's one of those things where people dismiss it. They think of it as just sort of like, oh, it's like this legacy. It's from the dot-com days of the late 90s, like Yahoo or AOL or that sort of thing. The difference being that um, this is a standalone company that is rewarding shareholders, unlike Yahoo and AOL. Yeah. Also, I would like to say that they have such a growing market in terms of, so I talked about trading cards, but also with sneakers, which was pretty interesting to me. Um, Their sneakers valued above $100 grew triple digits. And last quarter, their growth luxury watches are growing pretty fast. And I also learned um, in 2014, a Superman comic book sold for, I want you to guess, how much do you think a comic book on eBay sold, and I'm saying it, it was obviously a lot of money, but I want you to guess how much it was sold for. So I'm, I'm assuming this was like an like the the very first Superman comic book. That's my assumption. Uh, $3 million. Close. $3.2 million. Wow. And where do you think Ron Gross keeps it? <laughs> I also thought, I was like, oh, did someone get this for Ron as a gift? They also, in 2012, they auctioned off a lunch with Warren Buffett, and that sold for charity. Um, and that was sold for $3.5 million. Well, and I think the, you know, the obvious uh, conclusion to draw there is like, you know, look, Warren Buffett's great. Uh, lunch is uh, what is that? That maxes out at, at two hours. Whereas you know, you buy the Superman comic, that's forever. That's forever, and you tell everyone you've ever met. Look at this. <laughs> you can show it to them. I guess you could show them a picture of you at lunch with Warren Buffett, but I don't know that it has the same the same yeah, pizzazz. Exactly. Fourth quarter results for Lazy Boy were solidly better than Wall Street was expecting. Profits higher, revenue higher, shares down almost ten percent. What? I, I I don't understand this. This you know I look at this and I think, yeah, this. If you just look at the headline, 
of their fourth quarter results, it tracks with everything we've seen recently from businesses like RH Holdings, um, anything tied to home improvement or home furnishing. Um, why is this stock getting punished? Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes the sentiment too is the world's opening up again. People are going to spend less time at home. They're going to start spending money on things that uh, what they haven't spent money on in the past year. People have spent so much money in the past year on home furnishings. But I mean, like you said, their quarter four results were great. They, their sales were up 41%, which beat estimates by about 4%. Their same source sales for the Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries more than doubled. They were up 114%. Joybird, which is a brand that they own, which I had never heard of, but looked up a little bit. Those sales more than doubled up 144% to about 37 million. So a small part of their overall sales, but still quite interesting. And then for the full year, their sales were up about 2% to 1.7 billion, which is so much higher than I thought Lazy Boy sales would have been if you asked me uh, what their sales were. Um, the one thing is that they are uh, anticipating you know, their increase in manufacturing capacity, but they are ex expecting a lot of headwinds consistently within their supply chain. So um, raw material uh, price increases are going to be pretty bad for them. They said that they're going to offset that by price increases for their products, but they do kind of warn that they have more demand than they have supply, which isn't something that you are completely, um, I would prefer that than the other way around, but you will see kind of that supply chain headwind, which I think you've also seen with a lot of people who have ordered furniture in the past six months. There have been consistently long waiting lists. Um, and so with low switching costs, I think maybe that's also also on people's minds of, well, maybe I won't get a lazy boy. Maybe I'll go somewhere else who can um, work with a supply chain in a, in a more satisfactory way towards the customers. For people of a certain age, like myself, I mean, Lazy Boy uh, brings to mind one piece of furniture and one only, and that is the recliner. That, you know, like if, if you were a kid in the 70s, either you had one in your house or you knew someone who, and it was like the greatest thing in the world in terms of furniture, the idea that you could sit in a chair, reach down, pull a lever, and then the feet would go up and you could, you could recline in it. You go to the website for lazy boy and it's you know it's almost unrecognizable for people like me the fact that they have all these different brands all these different um, types of furniture um, i'm wondering if you think there is enough brand equity in the name that they they just keep it going because um, when i don't know it just seems like they're doing a lot more than the name lazy boy would suggest yeah, I don't think that that's a name that engenders uh, the idea of like, oh, I'm going to spend a lot. And the way if I talk about West Elm, I know that West Elm is high quality and um, I'm going to pay a higher price for it. I actually, now that you say that, I remember Lazy Boys with the with the recliner because I'm pretty sure my grandpa had one. But <laughs> when I think Lazy Boy, I think the sectionals of like those really big sofas that people really like lean into. Um, but I don't know that they have the brand name associated with someone saying, oh, I need a sofa. Let me make sure I check out Lazy Boy, especially with so many online options. I think more people are probably going to go to like a Wayfair or a West Elm or one of those other more well-known brands. But I mean, their sales were still very impressive. So maybe more people are thinking of Lazy Boy than, than I give credit for. Well, and uh, I I guess I'm surprised that this is still, not that it's still around, but that it's still around as a public company and the market cap is about 1.8 billion. 
um, considering their history, considering their their international footprint, I, I, I don't know. It, it almost makes me wonder if at some point in the next five years, someone acquires them because they can take the best parts of this business, put it into a larger distribution channel and make it work more profitably. Yeah, that could be interesting. Um, and they do have a brand name. They do clearly have some brand loyalty. So that could be an interesting addition to maybe a larger furniture brand um, trying to trying to get the, that customer base. Maria Gallagher, always great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.